Good morning. Um, for those of you who are visiting with us, let me explain that we're working through um, a series on Sundays um, called Being Human. And we're looking at different aspects of just things that happen or what it means to be human and uh, what the Bible might have to say about some of those things. And rather selfishly, I wanted uh, to take a theme which um, struck me during this week and has uh, been associated with my life this week and uh, for us to think about it. And the title is Being Human, Being Beautiful. (laughs) I don't know why you just laugh all of a sudden. During this week, on Tuesday, I attended the United Kingdom Spa and Beauty Exhibition in the Excel Centre in London. So it was a bit of a no-brainer that I should be preaching on being beautiful this morning. It was a first for me, and it was quite an experience. I saw things I never expected to see on the floor of a public exhibition centre. I suppose I should point out why I was there. Um, It has to do with the project that we're developing in Nepal. Uh, Many of you will know from Ken's report after our visit there in November that one of the things we're doing is developing um, a trade, we hope, in essential oils, which can be distilled in Nepal of very high quality. And the plan is to bring them to the UK and sell them into the UK and Ireland market to help guarantee a fair price for growers and producers in Nepal and also to create some employment in Kathmandu. Um, A Christian friend who has been in that kind of business, the essential oil business all his life, uh, told me I needed to get along to the exhibition just to meet some people and see what happens. So I did. I felt just a little out of place. (laughs) It was predominantly female. It was largely about nails (laughs) or teeth whitening. Um, I've never seen so many people. It looked like something out of the Matrix film. People all sitting in these big bench seat things or recliner seats with these things on their mouths and complete blue lights emerging out of their mouths. I think that's how you whiten teeth, apparently. Um, It was to do with spa treatments, spa therapies, massage, more nails, perfumes and oils. I was struck by quite a number of things. I was struck by the scale of the exhibition. It's not the largest of its kind in Europe, but it was massive, absolutely massive. I was a bit struck by the scale of the beauty market. I have to say that has passed me by most of my life. Um, And I was also struck by the lack of inhibition when it comes to the chance of a free massage in an exhibition. Not that I took part. Some of the aisles I walked down, it was very hard to know where to look, rather than where not to look. I suppose, in one sense, it didn't differ that much from walking along uh, a holiday beach in the summer. But then this was London, it was February, it was freezing, and it was indoors, and it was very weird. I think the most shocking and distressing thing I witnessed was the waste of good cocoa powder. Um, I like my chocolate. It grieved me seeing it being applied to women's bodies. Um, the idea of mixing uh, quality cocoa powder with oils and slapping it on just didn't do anything for me and if you don't believe me I have brought the evidence here you too can own choco scrub uh, or rich cocoa body if you so wish and uh, there's all the evidence and in fact the very nice lady who gave me all this stuff offered me the franchise for Northern Ireland Um, (laughs) I jest not Um, So I quickly moved on. If you want that franchise and you want to set up a business, come talk to me afterwards. I've got all the contacts. 
It wasn't so much the commercial aspect of the whole thing, which was a bit of a shocker that got me thinking, because I suppose, truthfully, I don't see much difference in spending money on cocoa powder to rub it on and cocoa powder to put it inside. I suppose neither passes a stringent good stewardship test, but it was the pursuit of beauty and why it matters at all that I got to thinking about. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about, well, as Christians, it's not something we do talk about an awful lot. I mean, we will pass comment to one another, but again, it's not one of those sort of church themes that you pick up in church very much, just the concept of of beauty. And yet, when I went and did some thinking about this and some work on this, there are many ways in which beauty is referred to in the Bible. Um, For example, first of all, you have God's creation. God saw that it was good and declared that it was very good. And I've always assumed that that good has within it the concept of beauty and beautiful. And isn't it true? We say the same kind of thing when you go onto the mountains and you look around and you feel the fresh air and you hear the stillness. The term that we use so often is beautiful. You stand and you look at the sunset or an eclipse like last night and it is really beautiful. It is staggering. You stand on the roof of Adrian and Sandra's house in Pokhara and you look at Fishtail Mountain and the Annapurna Mountain Range. It's breathtakingly beautiful. And there was a time when it was even more beautiful, when there was nothing to spoil it. And indeed Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes says in Ecclesiastes 3, 10 to 11, I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. This tortured sense of there is beauty and what God has created is so beautiful and he has set a sense of eternity in our hearts and we struggle to cope with all of these things, to carry the weight of the beauty of all that God has placed in his creation. But it's not just creation that is beautiful in biblical terms. The Bible isn't at all behind the door in talking about women being beautiful. I came across references to at least eight named women in the Old Testament who are constantly referred to as being beautiful. You might like to see if you can think of any others. Um, There's Sarah, who was beautiful, very beautiful, the scripture says. talks about her in Genesis 12. There was Rebecca, who was very beautiful, the wife of Isaac, Sarah's son. There was Rachel, who was lovely in form and beautiful, clearly a stunning woman, and the Bible describes her as such. Interestingly, Abraham, his son Isaac, and his son Jacob all married very stunning, beautiful women. There was Abigail, who's referred to as a very intelligent and beautiful woman, if you remember from the Sunday evening series, and Bathsheba. There's Tamar, David's daughter, who is described as very beautiful, as was her niece, Absalom's daughter, named after her aunt, Tamar. And then there's Esther. Esther must have been one of the most beautiful women in the country at the time. And in uh, Esther chapter 2, there's quite a a long section in Esther chapter 2 which talks about um, the beauty that was being sought for the king, for King Xerxes. It tells us in verse 1 of chapter 2, when the anger of King Xerxes had subsided, he remembered Vashti, that was his queen, and what she had done which he had considered to be hugely disrespectful, and what had been decreed about her, which was that she should be banished 
from his presence. And then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful girls into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the girl who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. And when the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many girls were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had the charge of the harem. The girl pleased him and won his favour. Immediately he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven maids selected from the king's palace and moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Before a girl's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh and six with perfumes and cosmetics. Clearly, Esther was a beautiful woman, and she had a whole year of beauty treatments. She would have had the whole of the XL Exhibition Centre to herself for a whole year. And God was happy for the beautiful Esther to have all the beauty products and cosmetics of the day, because he had a purpose for her. Can't be such a bad thing. The Song of Songs is fairly fond of the term beauty. The lover says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Maybe not the kind of language we use these days, but you'll understand. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are doves. So it's not just creation that the Bible is up front and talking about being beautiful. It talks about human beauty and how it is recognized and how it is something that is celebrated. There are many other things considered to be beautiful in the Old Testament. The very nation of Israel, the idea of a people, a community called out to be God's people, are referred to as beautiful. Whether it's references like in Numbers, how beautiful are your tents, O Jacob. And it's not just so much the tents that are the beauty, it is the sense of the nation gathered together, delivered out of bondage, called to be the people of God. Ezekiel uses the term beautiful of Israel on many, many occasions. And he uses it both positively and negatively about how beautiful it is to see a nation that belongs to God. And yet how that beauty has sometimes been squandered. Things like robes are recognized as being beautiful. The stars of the heavens, Job 38:31, are referred to as being beautiful. Scripture looks at all aspects of life and all the things that we see and is not afraid to refer to things as being of beauty. But it's not just creation and it's not just women and other aspects of the world around us. God himself is considered beautiful. Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And to seek him in his temple. There is so much to be fathomed there. In the concept of the beauty of God in his holiness, in his righteousness. We may have different ideas of what is beautiful. We see beauty in men and women differently. We are inspired by different things in the created order differently. But in the form, the color, the shape, the movements of God's creation and in God himself, there is much that is beautiful. And we of all people as Christians ought not to be afraid to say so. 
and to talk about those things that are of beauty and to commend them to others. We should not be shirking from what is beautiful. Jesus himself says in Matthew 26 verse 10, when a woman anoints him shortly before he is to go to the cross, she has done a beautiful thing to me. The choice of language speaks richly of the nature of that love, that devotion, that tenderness that was expressed to Jesus. So what am I saying and where am I wanting to go with this? Well, I'm saying, guys, avoid the National Spa and Beauty Exhibition. Though for a fiver, I'll share the dates of the Irish one and the RDS later in the year. (laughs) What I'm really saying is that Scripture acknowledges that beauty is there to be recognized in creation, in men, in women, in God's work of salvation, in God himself. Beauty is to be acknowledged and celebrated. But it wasn't just that broad theme I was thinking about when I was at the exhibition centre. As I walked around the exhibition, one passage kept recurring in my mind. You might like to turn to it. You'll find it in First Peter. And it's the theme that I want to leave with you this morning. And it's particularly verses 3 and 4 of 1 Peter chapter 3, but I'm going to read down to the end of verse 7 so that we get a bit of the context in which this occurs. We've just read the, or Peter has just written the section which talks about um, Jesus as an example for us. In fact, let's begin with that just to get the whole of the context. Verse 21 of chapter 2, it's on page 1219 of the copies of the Bible that are in the pew. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. And treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the precious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. The context of the verses that I want to draw your attention to, in particular this morning, verses 3 and 4, is pretty clear. In the days of the early church, there were uh, people who were becoming Christians, but not necessarily their spouses becoming Christians. This was true both for men and for women. And in the culture of the day, particularly for women, which is still very true today, unfortunately, in many cases, the women were in a very difficult situation, particularly if their husbands opposed them. They were economically dependent upon their husbands very often, 
legally had very few rights. They risked divorce or abandonment, which in the context of the culture and the society would have been really quite disastrous. And in that context, Peter is advising Christian women. Interestingly, he also has a word to say to Christian men, which he makes sure is included there, uh, not least those whose wives are not Christian. So this was an issue generally that they had to deal with in the life of the church. And what he says is that in the same way Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly and didn't retaliate when mistreated, so Peter encourages women to seek to win through goodness. It doesn't always work, as Paul recognizes in Romans chapter 7, but it's the basic principle. Anyway, in our context, and for our purposes this morning, it's the text of verses 3 and 4 that stand out. They are the verses that just kept going through my head the whole time I was in that huge exhibition center. And men, this is as much for you as it is for women. Because as you'll see later on in the text, the theme is virtually repeated to everybody. So you need to get in touch with your feminine side if you're thinking of avoiding this this morning. Because this text applies actually to all of us. And here's what I want to say about it. First of all, beauty should not be skin deep only. Real beauty should come from within. Godly beauty is not merely a matter of cosmetics. The Apostle Paul is very clear about the nature and the attitude that men have to themselves when he's writing to them about their attitude and their relationship with wives. He, 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 he talks on the basis of in the way in which you love yourself and love your own body. Men are as much into this kind of thing as, any, as women. I was going to say anybody else, but then there only is women. It's, a, it, it's, it's something that affects all of us. Some people read this text and on the basis of it they want to ban Christians, um, especially women, from hairdos or wearing gold jewellery or fine clothes. It's not what Peter is saying. There's always someone who will read this passage and, and try to be a bit of a killjoy with it. I think Christian women and men should look well, but not ridiculous. You should be your credit to yourself and to God. There is an echo of the same kind of thing in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10 where Paul says, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. And in his context, what Paul is saying to us is he would rather you resist the temptation to look like Joan Collins going over the top or dressing to show and to shock. In fact, it's not that he would rather you wouldn't. He's just saying, don't go there. But what Peter is saying is that beyond the hair, or in many male cases the lack of it, beyond the jewellery and clothes is something more precious and something more beautiful, which God has something to say about. Real beauty, Peter says, should come from within. Second thing I want to say simply about this passage is that real beauty, the Bible describes as being a gentle and quiet spirit. It's clear from what verse 6 says that Peter is not advocating a gentle and broken spirit. That is not what he is advocating. Look at what he says in verse 6 of that passage. You are her daughters if you do what is right, this beautiful woman called Sarah, and do not give way to fear. He's not talking about a gentle and a, uh, a quiet and gentle spirit that is coward and broken. One translator translates the passage, verses 3 and 4, this way. 
Your adornment should not consist of externals, such as your braided hair and the gold you put on or the clothes you wear. It is rather the person hidden in your heart with that imperishable quality of a humble and quiet spirit. It is an adornment most lavish in God's sight. For Peter, and I believe Paul as well, the key part of what they're driving at is not the negative, but the positive. Paul uses the term good deeds. For Peter, it's the person hidden in the heart, the gentle and quiet disposition. Peter says it's not the externals, it's the internals that matter. Peter says it's not the adornment, but the person under the adornment that counts. Peter's used in making contrast. The whole way through his letter he makes them. He's full of contrast between how the world thinks and how Christians should think. He describes our faith in chapter 1 and verse 7 as more precious than gold. He talks about silver and gold and he describes them as the things that are perishable in this life. The thing that isn't is the blood of Christ in verse 18 of chapter 1. In chapter 2 he talks about how the world rejects and rejected Jesus. And yet God makes him the cornerstone. He's full of contrasts between the way we see things in human terms and the way things really are as far as God is concerned. And he's at it here again. That's what he's doing. He's saying you don't judge a book by the cover. You don't judge by merely outward appearances. It's the person that matters. The person reshaped and being reshaped to be more like Jesus Christ that you're after. I've met people who have nothing. Their clothes are cheap, their homes are bare, and their children are barefooted. But with the Spirit of Christ shining through the shabby clothing, they have more than many of us Western Christians. They have a Christ-likeness in a gentle and quiet spirit. It shows, it's attractive, it's beautiful, it glorifies God. It speaks highly of Christ. It is beautiful. Peter would have made a good investment advisor, I think, because he's always interested in the things that have a good long-term prospect, the things that will last, the strong investments for the future. He's into things like incorruptible inheritances. Verse 4 of chapter 1. He's into things that are worth more than gold. Like your faith, verse 7 of chapter 1. He's into imperishable valuables, more precious than silver or gold. As we've already said, the precious blood of Christ. He's into imperishable seed, the living and the enduring word of God. As a sound investment manager, he's also heavily into the unfading beauty of a gentle and humble spirit. Because it has imperishable quality. It never fades. Fashions change, silver tarnishes, gold can be melted down, and anti-aging potions are basically all snake oil. But the inner beauty of who you are and who you become in Christ never fades. As I say, these qualities are not for women only. Look at verses 15 and 16 of the same chapter. He's talking about always being prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But to do it with gentleness and respect. Qualities that God values highly. 
qualities that are of great worth in God's sight for both men and women. As I walked around the (coughs) XL Exhibition Centre, I kept thinking about this text. And I was challenged by the text. It was very easy to ridicule some of the stalls. Very easy to ridicule some of the people, especially the ones standing in the spray booths, getting spray tans on in full view of the exhibition hall. Exhibition actually seemed to be the right term. But I was challenged to think about what really counts as beauty as far as God is concerned. And not to pretend that humanity and men and women are not beautiful. Not to pretend that beauty is only some ethereal thing. But to ask the question, as this verse just kept going round in my head, is this true of me? It's easy for me to ridicule what I see here, but what have I got that's any better? And the answer is no, it's not true of me in the way it should be. Okay, maybe I can preach a bit, maybe I can teach a bit, maybe I can stand at the front more easily than most people. I can say the right things, but is the inner me characterized by a gentle and quiet spirit? I wish I could say that was true. Because I can stand here looking like the real thing. You can sit there pretending to be the real thing. But the question is, are we? The truth is that for me, the inside is very much only a work in progress. And I was greatly challenged. I suppose one of the useful things on Tuesday was that I know where to go for beauty products. In fact, as I said, if anyone's thinking of setting up a salon on the Lisburn Road, I can get you the franchise from fairly classy products. Truth is, you know where to get them too. All you need to do is take a dander up the Lisburn Road and you'll get the lot from uh, body salons to designer clothes. But where do you go to get this beauty of which Peter speaks? Because you can't buy it but I can tell you where to find it. There's only one address I can give you where you can find the unfading beauty. It's not a very beautiful place. It's a very dark place, eerily so. The street itself stinks. It stinks of household waste. It's just on the edge of a city, a city that is teeming with people, At festival time. It stinks of smoke. And smouldering little fires. Around the place in the darkness. It sounds of dogs. And men laughing. And women weeping. There's no street light. To pick your way through the dark. It stinks of blood. Of human sweat. I'm afraid it's not the kind of place. We have anywhere in Belfast. And truthfully. It's not the kind of place you would want to be, but you need to go there. It's called Golgotha. It means the place of the skull, and it's well named. And you need to walk along a short line of dying men hanging on pieces of wood. You need to get up close and check the name boards above their heads. 
I know it's really not a nice thing. It seems a terribly inappropriate thing to be this close to someone who is suffering and dying. But you need to go there and read the boards until you find the one that says, Jesus of Nazareth. That's where you find ointment for the soul. That's where you can find the modeling of humility and gentleness. And that's where inner transformation begins. And as you hear him say, Father, forgive them, you can sense the beginning of the change. It's a horrible, stinking place. It's a horrible, stinking sight. It's a horrible, stinking smell. But there is beauty to be found there. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit in the person of Christ. If you want to be beautiful, go there and worship him. Then go out and follow him. And seek the help of the Spirit of God to be like him. Let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, we come here to worship you. And we come here this morning because in the context of our worship we need to get a a grip again in a fresh way on the things that really count as far as you are concerned. We're grateful for all that we have. We're grateful for all the things to which we have access in this part of the world, all the things that make our lives richer and happier, more full, all the things that we can own and look at and touch and taste and see, which speak of beauty. And we are grateful for all of these things. But sometimes we are lost. Sometimes we are lost in our sense of values. And we pray that as we leave here this morning, we might have been helped in the context of worship to just think about what those values should be and to understand in a fresh way the things that you value most. We pray that you will make us a beautiful people. That you will help us to want to be, in every sense, beautiful people but grant that our values might not be distorted by merely our selfish desires or what we are sold and given in the world around us, but ultimately shaped by the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.